You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God could have arranged that, but that wasn't his will. But he's not going to let him get back home without finding the truth because he's been searching. He's been seeking desperately. Here's what the Bible says. If you call out for insight, you cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it, it's for silver. And you search for it, it's for hidden treasure. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. If you don't know God, it's because you're not searching for him. Even as a Christian, if you're not really experiencing God, it's maybe because you're not really giving it everything. If we aren't experiencing God, it could be because we aren't really searching for Him. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us that God's Word says that those who desire to know Him will find Him. Those who search to know the Lord like they would a hidden treasure will find Him. When we call out to the Lord for insight, He will give it to us. We just need to be willing to ask Him for it. If we aren't experiencing God, and if we aren't finding the truth that we seek, are we really searching for Him? Now here's Pastor Danny with part two of today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts, chapter 8. are coming and the Israelites are crying out, oh, we're going to perish. Oh, no. Their backs are up against the water. And here's what God says. Here's what God says. Stand still. Stand still. I'm about ready to swim. Stand still and see the Lord's salvation. And then God parts the water and there goes Charlton Heston and all the Israelites (laughs) through the Red Sea. I mean, what a story. And one of my favorite judges, judges say Gideon. Gideon, angel of the Lord comes. That's Christ in the Old Testament. Angel comes to him. He's in a wine press hiding from the Midianites, threshing wheat. Angel says, oh, mighty warrior. He's thinking, me? (laughs) But he follows the call and he goes out and he says, anybody come willing to fight the Midianites? Come on, Midianites, massive army. 32,000 Israelites men show up. God says, that's too many. Tell anybody who's afraid they can go home. 22,000 went home. God says, that's still too many. Takes them down to the brook. Whittles it down to 300. 300, and here's the plan to go against the Midianites. Every man, 300, has a clay jar. They have a torch inside the clay jar, and everyone has a trumpet. At Gideon's command, Gideon says, at my command, shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Nobody has a sword. They got a clay jar, they got fire inside, and they got a trumpet. Where are they going to get a sword? How are they going to carry it? And here's the plan. Shout, break your jars, shine your light. Blow your trumpet. That's the plan. You tell me that makes sense. But God took those 300, what the world would consider foolish men, but men who responded in faith, and God defeated a massive Midianite army through their faith. And then there's the widow of Zarephath, 1 Kings 17. You don't need to turn to it. I'm just going to tell them real quick, and we're going to move on. Elijah the prophet, he prayed. 
Didn't rain for three and a half years. God is providing for Elijah. He's being fed by the ravens. They bring him food and he's drinking from the brook. But because of the famine, the brook dries up. New plan. Go to Zarephath. I've got a widow there and she'll provide for you. He gets to Zarephath. He sees the widow. He says to her, would you please bring me a drink of water and a piece of bread? She says, sir, all I got is a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering some sticks, going to go home, make one last meal for me and my son that we may die. She's destitute. Elijah says, this is the word of the Lord. Before you do that, would you make a small cake and bring it to me? And then go get a bunch of jars borrow and get as many as you can. And she responds in faith, makes the cake, brings it to Elijah. And God multiplies the oil in the jars so much so that there's enough for her, her son, and Elijah for a long time to come. And then there's stories like Luke 5. Oh, they never get old. They never get old. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, the first hurdle to overcome is you don't go into deep water and throw the net. You throw the net in shallower water. And here's what Peter said. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard on it all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Because you say so. Doesn't make sense to a professional fisherman like Peter. But because Jesus said so. And when they had done so, They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Probably more fish than Peter had ever caught as a professional fisherman in his entire life. One more. Mark chapter 6, verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to Jesus. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, we got five loaves and we got two fish. Have the people sit down. They sat down in groups of about 50 and there are thousands, thousands of people. You got five loaves and two fish. Jesus looks up to heaven, holds the little bit up to heaven, thanks the Father, thanks the Father, begins to break off to the disciples. They begin to break off to the people. Everybody ate, thousands until they wanted no more. And they took up 12 basketfuls left over. He does it again, and they picked up seven basketfuls left over. What a God we serve. What a God. Here's, here's praise the Lord. That's for the Lord. But listen, say this with me. Come on now, say it with me. Ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I love that verse. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't try to figure it out. When you know it's the Lord, follow his lead. Listen to his voice. Do what he says. You can trust him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what God loves. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. One of the marks of being genuinely saved is that you're led by the Spirit. Galatians gives us a real practical verse. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Now, how do I do that? Well, there's two quick ways to get out of step with the Spirit. And they're easy to understand. You'll understand them. One is this. I do something that I know I shouldn't do. That's called sin. Now I'm out of step with the Spirit. I grieve the Spirit when I do that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the second is just the the flip side of that. This one, grieving the Holy Spirit, I do something I know I shouldn't do. I sin willfully. I go somewhere I shouldn't go willfully. 
I grieve the spirit. You flip it around. I don't do something I should do. That's when I quench the spirit. I put out the fire. I don't do it, and so God is not able to do in and through my life what he wants to do. Unless Philip obeys and leaves the happening places, goes down south, even though he doesn't know why he's going, but unless he takes that step of faith, he never reaches that Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I believe God would have sent somebody else, but Philip is the guy he called. Don't quench the spirit. Now, we got to move on, but I want to read one more verse to help us again, maybe a little more understand how we know when the spirit is leading us, how we know when the spirit is leading us. Romans chapter eight and one verse, verse five, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. You're just thinking about satisfying your fleshly appetite. You're living for self and living for this life. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Now, the easiest way I know to explain that, and it's very simple, but the easiest way is if I'm not on a regular basis saying, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, lead me by your Spirit. And then trying to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. It's where my mind is set. You gotta wanna be led by the Lord to be sensitive and become sensitive, to be led by the Lord. So if you're just going through the day and you're not thinking about the Lord and not wanting the Lord's will, no wonder you're not sensitive to when he says move, when he leads you. Happened to me just recently. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this pastor friend who I hadn't seen in five years or so comes to my mind. Out of nowhere, no reason for me to think about him. No reason. And I took it as from the Lord. And I went to the number I had for him. It was a cell phone number. And I thought, five years, is it, it, does he still have the same cell phone? I, I'll just try. And I call him. I said, hey, man, I haven't talked to you in so long. On third ring, he, he answered. I said, hey, man, I haven't talked to you for so long. How are you doing? He said, I can't believe you called. And he began to go on about the tough time he had been through and was still in. That was the Lord. But it was just an impression. It would just, it would just, he just came to my mind and you got to be sensitive. If that happens, you go, well, why? I wasn't, there's no reason for me to be thinking about him. So it was the Lord. It was the Lord because of Philip's obedience. He ends up discovering his primary gifting and his primary calling in following Jesus Christ. He was star trekked out of Samaria and star trekked in Azotus 20 miles away. He would spend the rest of his life popping into places and popping out of places. You know why? And not necessarily miraculously like that. But there's a message in that popping in and popping out, that miracle. And the message is this. That's what evangelists do. And that's what Philip became. We know. Acts 21.8. He's referred to as Philip the evangelist. Let's go back to how he discovered God's call and will for his life. He was one of the first deacons of the early church. That tells us he was a servant. He had a servant's heart. He persevered persecution. Samaria, he continued to share the word. He followed God's leading, even when humanly speaking, it did not make sense. And because of his servant's heart, his perseverance, and his willingness to obey, even when it didn't make sense, he discovered the primary calling and gifting for his life. He became Philip the evangelist. And he had an ability, but it didn't come miraculously. It came through study and effort, and work. He was able to share Jesus and the gospel from the Old Testament. Now, I know they didn't have the New Testament at that point, but let me ask you, could you share the gospel with someone from the Old Testament? If you share with a Jew who doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah, you do no good by reading or telling him anything from the New Testament because he doesn't believe the New Testament. 
And the only way you're going to be able to share Jesus with him is through the Old Testament. I challenge you to make it a goal. Listen, when that verse that Paul wrote to Timothy, study to show yourself to prove a workman, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, but rightly handles the word of truth. That's not just for professional preachers and teachers. That's for any Christian. That's for you. That's for everybody. I want to give you real quick, and then I got to move on. My favorite, the top eight Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Now, there are a lot more, but if you just learn these eight, write them in your Bible and do a little bit of work to learn them, you'll be able to share Christ from the Old Testament. The first is Jesus' birthplace. I'm not going to take time because there's one last point and we got to get it because God wants us to get it. The second, Abraham and Isaac. You learn that story. There's the gospel right there in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Third, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot. Fourth, Zechariah. I love this one. I love this one. It goes like this. Take the 30 pieces of silver, the handsome price you paid me, and throw it into the house of the Lord to the potter. That's what it says. Judas Iscariot, filled with remorse, not repentance, because of what he had done takes the 30 pieces of silver that the Jewish leadership had paid him to betray Jesus, goes back to the temple, the house of the Lord, throws it into the house of the Lord. The Jewish leadership pick up every piece and they say, it's blood money, so we can't put it into the temple treasury. It's defiled. So what we'll do, we'll buy a field, the potter's field, as a burial place for foreigners. Amazing prophecy. Amazing prophecy. Number five, Psalm twenty two sixteen. before anybody ever thought of crucifying someone on a cross, this prophecy, they pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22, verse 18, they divide my clothes among them, cast lots for my garment. That's what the soldiers did. They gambled for Jesus's clothing at the foot of the cross. Isaiah 53, where the eunuch was reading, verse eight is the death. Verse nine is the burial. Verse 11 is the resurrection. It's right there. In Isaiah 53. Then you might want to call their attention to five and six because the reason he came, died, was buried, and rose again. God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Great prophecy. And number eight. Now you got to do a little study if you're really going to communicate this one clearly, but if you're worth your salt, you'll do a little bit of study because it's an amazing prophecy. About 483 years of human history, and it began the first year with the issuing of the decree by a man named Cyrus to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. They've been destroyed. He issued the decree on March 5th, 444 BC. You fast forward to 483 years, and on that 483rd day, you come to March 30th, AD 33, and that is the exact day when Jesus rode on the colt, fulfilling another prophecy, and he rode into Jerusalem, presenting himself publicly as the Messiah. And that's what ultimately sent him to the cross. And the prophecy says after the 483rd year, Messiah would be cut off. That's what it says. That's the cross. Incredible prophecies. Write these down. If you haven't written them down, you can go online. You can get them on my notes. We can fill you in with more detail, that kind of background, so that you are equipped to share Jesus Christ and the gospel from the Old Testament, not just the New Testament. And last, but certainly not least, I'll say one more thing on that point. Isn't it incredible? (laughs) It's just incredible to me. How God can work things out without violating man's free will. I mean, just by chance, when Philip comes alongside the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch, just by chance is reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. 
And he's reading aloud. That was common in that culture because in the text, in the ancient text, they don't have periods and word divisions. And they would read aloud because they said it helped them to remember it. And so that's why he's reading aloud. And just by chance, he's reading Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. The people of ancient Ethiopia worship the sun god, the moon god, and believe it or not, the serpent. They have discovered archaeological discoveries of altars where they offered sacrifices to these gods. I went on YouTube and I found one fascinating one that wasn't very long, and so I watched it. And they've unearthed one that they now have, and it's in total tact. Sometimes they have to piece them back together. It's in total one piece. It's amazing. But in the time of King Solomon, a queen brought to her people the knowledge of the God of Israel. Jesus refers to her in Matthew chapter 12. And verse 42, let me read it. Matthew 12, verse 42. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now someone greater than Solomon is here, referring to himself, Jesus. The queen of the south came from the ends of the earth. Other translations give us a little more clue as to who she is and where she came from. She's queen of Sheba. And where was Sheba? You're smart. It was in ancient Ethiopia. She had heard about Solomon, his riches, his wisdom, his God. And she travels that long distance described here as from the ends of the earth. And she goes to Jerusalem and she gets an appointment with Solomon. And she learns about him and the God of Israel. And she takes that knowledge back to Ethiopia. To ancient Greeks and Romans, Ethiopia was at the ends of the earth. One little side nugget. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the beginning of the gospel going to the ends of the earth is through one obedient disciple named Philip who goes down a desert road and comes alongside an Ethiopian eunuch who just happens to be reading from Isaiah 53. And from that very scripture, Philip shares with him the gospel. He accepts Jesus. He's baptized and he takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. I love the Bible. If he covered an average of 25 miles a day, the trip would have taken anywhere from 48 to 60 days. And he's traveling in style, a chariot. That's like a limo in that day. Round trip, 96 to 120 days, depending on how long and how often he stopped. What does that tell us about this guy? He's not just seeking truth. He's desperately seeking truth. What he had been taught growing up, worship of the sun god, the moon god, the serpent, something just wasn't right with him about that. He's like, that's just not the truth. I don't believe that's the truth. And he goes seeking truth, but not casually. He's desperate. He somehow obtained a scroll of Isaiah. Whether he had other scriptures or not, we don't know. But those were hard to come by. They were made by hand and they were very expensive. But he's a man of means. He's treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. And somehow he buys at least the scroll of Isaiah. And he's searching. He didn't find the answer on that trip to Jerusalem. What he got in Jerusalem? He's a eunuch. Deuteronomy 23.1. The only way he could get even to the court of the Gentiles is to buy his way there or know somebody to get him in. At best, he's standing outside and he's watching and he's listening. And he's not, there's not any genuine worship going on. And what he heard was the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they didn't teach with authority. They weren't teaching the word. And he leaves 
after that long journey, just as spiritually empty as when he arrived. But he's still seeking. He's still searching. And he's reading. But he doesn't understand. Why in the world God didn't arrange for him to bump into one of the apostles in Jerusalem? I don't know. I'm not God. God could have arranged that, but that wasn't his will. But he's not going to let him get back home without finding the truth because he's been searching. He's been seeking desperately. Here's what the Bible says. If you call out for insight, you cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it, it's for silver. And you search for it as for hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. If you don't know God, it's because you're not searching for him. Even as a Christian, if you're not really experiencing God, it's maybe because you're not really giving it everything. Wonderful promise. You won't find him in the, what somebody has called the peanut gallery. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to travel. That first Christmas, the Magi, the wise men, boy, what a distance they traveled. But the sacrifice was worth it because you know what their reward was? We've come. We were looking for the king of the Jews. And that's exactly what they found. And they brought their gifts and they bowed and they worshiped him. How did they know how to find him? Oh, you say the star. Okay. They followed the star. That's correct. How did they know about the star? Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Oddly enough, a prophecy given by a man named Balaam. Balaam wasn't even saved, but he prophesied. And here's what he said. A star will rise out of Jacob, a ruler over Israel. That's the prophecy that those wise men, those stargazers, they read that prophecy. They went to the scriptures. And that's how they knew about the star. You want truth? Here it is. It's right here. You want to know God? It's right here. You want to experience God on a regular basis? You're not going to do it apart from this book. Let me give you one side note and I'm done. I meet people and I've met people over the years that believe things that have, there's no foundation for what they believe. There's no basis for it, but they believe it. I've met people that criticize the Bible. And when I have an opportunity, the first question I ask him, here's the first question. Oh, so you've read the Bible? Me personally, I'm just speaking for me. I've never met one critic of the Bible that's really read it and investigated it to find out if it's true or not. We just have people criticizing it that have never read it, never investigated. I meet Catholics and others too. I'm not trying to just single out the Catholics, but I've met more Catholics that believe what some Pope said and what some Pope wrote down and said, this is the truth. And it flies in the face of words in this book. Who are you going to believe? What's the basis of why you believe what you believe? You just say, I believe because I'm Catholic and my grandmother was Catholic and my family's Catholic. Well, listen, maybe they're not right on everything. You want to know the truth? It's right here. It's right here. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. And fascinating when you go deep with that. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. Revelation nineteen thirteen says Jesus, his name is the word of God. You want Jesus in the volume of the book. He said, it's written of me. I can't get closer to Jesus apart from this book. And neither can you. If you're not experiencing God on a personal basis, and on a regular basis. And maybe I'm talking to a lot of people that you did at one point, but you're not now. And the reason you're not now is very simple. You're not seeking. You're not searching. And you're especially not in this book. It's not meant to be a guilt trip. I know there's a heaviness right now. It's not, I only got three minutes of legal time, and I know a lot of you are happy about that. But let me end with this. Here at Jeremiah 29, 13, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You want a half-hearted experience with God? Give a half-hearted effort. 
You want a full experience with God? Give it your all. Give it everything. we meet in the book of Acts weren't superheroes. They weren't angels in disguise, nor were they born with more privilege and intelligence than the average human being. These were just ordinary people doing their jobs and doing the best they could, until Jesus changed everything. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection flipped the world upside down, changing the way God was seen and opening up the reality of salvation to every person. That salvation hasn't changed. We all still need Jesus to save us from death. And just like these ordinary members of the early church, we can let the grace we've received flip our world upside down. Now we can live for Christ, sharing Him with the world around us and extending the Holy Spirit to everyone we meet. We're so glad you tuned in for today's message on the Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. This ministry is a product of the messages Pastor Danny teaches at Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend. We meet on Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Join us for a time of fellowship and Bible study, digging into God's Word as a collective group of imperfect believers. Find out more at our website, ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. You can listen to past messages from Pastor Danny while you're there, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time to study more from the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word. We'll be right back. 